five, four, three, two, one. Let's go. Diary of a Kitty Warrior. Sharing faith, knowledge, hope, and love. Hi, and welcome to Diary of a Kidney Warrior podcast. My name is Dee Moore, and I am a stage four kidney warrior. This podcast is dedicated to encourage, educate, and inspire as we explore all aspects of kidney disease, chronic illnesses, and health. If you have any questions or ideas for future topics you would like me to cover, please do get in touch with me on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter using the handle Diary of a Kidney Warrior. In today's episode, I am bringing you the third in a series of warrior women stories. Now there's always something you can learn from someone's story, something that can bring inspiration and hope. My guest today from Cambridge, England, is 43-year-old wife and full-time working mum of one, Sharon Haynes. Sharon is a two-time kidney transplant recipient and is determined to live life to the full. Hi, and welcome to Diary of a Kidney Warrior, the podcast. How are you doing today, Sharon? I'm fine, thank you. Good, good. I'm really excited to um, hear your story and to share the knowledge that you have with our listeners. So I'm going to kick off with my first question, and this is, how did your kidney warrior journey begin and how were you diagnosed? Well, um, I was diagnosed in 1997, December. I was 20 and I was diagnosed by my doctor because she thought I may have had meningitis. I woke up one morning and I couldn't, and my right to my body was limp. I'd had a mini stroke overnight. It came out of the blue. I had, I, 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 I'm not textbook. My doctor, Charing Cross, who I was under, said I was the worst patient she'd ever met. Oh, okay. It was because, <laughs> because I had no symptoms, I could have been walking down the street and collapsed and end up in hospital with a, with a line in my neck. So that's why she referred me as being the worst patient, because I had no symptoms of kidney disease. Of anything, I was a basic, basically a 20, 20 year old woman that was working full time, and go out two, two or three nights a week with, with my friends, and that was it. And then the next, then one morning I wake up, and that had all changed. Wow. So how did you? I mean, that must have been an incredible shock to your system. It was, and it was about, I'd say two weeks before Christmas as well. So I remember I went out for Christmas dinner with, with a work colleague of mine. We got together, just the two of us, and I caught food poisoning from that meal. And the doctors, the renal doctors, actually said that was the best thing that had ever happened because it was the getting food poisoning literally brought up to the surface obviously the renal the kidney failure so i don't know and to this day nobody knows what my kidney failure why it happened they pointed out to whether i had i was born with small kidneys or whether i had underlying kidney disease that hadn't been 
noticed right from birth to when when they found out at 20. Wow. That is incredible. So how did you, um, you know, begin to get your head around having this sudden onset of knowing, you know, overnight that you've got kidney disease? How did you get your head around it? How did you come to terms with it? I don't think I did originally because 20 years old, um, you know, I was living at home as you do at 20 with mum and dad and the dog. And then I thought, it's fine. You know, I've got, you know, years ahead of me, no problem. Duck up an army and that was it. But it was, they, they said to me in January, we'll keep an eye on you, you know, um, your moment, obviously I was still weighing bucket loads. So that wasn't, you know, I know kids disease, you can have lots of, lots of urine output. I, I had no major symptoms. I was doing what I was told. And within the pump from the January, I'm dialysis in the April. That's how quickly I, de- I deteriorated in three months. And to, it, to, to, to look at me, I looked normal, if, if you can say normal. I didn't look ill. I didn't look tired. You know, yes, I'd lost weight, but that was through healthy eating and cutting out all the rubbish. And I lost three stone in a year. So it's not excessive. I was literally following like Weight Watcher points. So it wasn't as though I was doing anything out of the ordinary. And then to be told, oh, you're going to, you know, you're going to dialysis. this. What do you want to do? Because they didn't want to do hemo because they said it, you know, it'd be too much a burden on me, like three times a week in hospital, such a machine for four hours. So I chose PD. And I was going to do the APD, the overnight machine. And that takes a bit of time. That they have to order the machine for you and then set everything up. And then at the last minute, I changed my mind. I said, I want to do PD, but I want to do the bags. And that's how I went on for eight months. I did PD bags. Started off four times, four times a day and then went to three times a day. So how was the um, process of being on peritoneal dialysis? Um, in a way, I think I just went into blinker mode and gone with it. Because at that time, I was panicked. I was uh, obviously, I had a boyfriend. My, my best friend got married. I was turning 21. So I, had, I, I was looking at that more than doing dialysis. Because with what I was doing, I could still go out. With, I could still go out. You know, I had no limit. You know, yes, that's been by a certain time to do my dialysis, but that worked around me, not me work around it. So that so that was the easy part. And how, what was the the hard part of it? Um, I don't know. Before I went on dialysis, I literally said. I would rather die than do dialysis. You know, I'm, I was 20, you know, I didn't want my, I just thought, hey, that's my life over. And it wasn't until my cousin, who'd had her first child, and she pregnant with her second one, said, um, 
you've got to do this because the baby I'm carrying, I want you to, I want you to be godmother. And he is now 22. I'm still waiting to be godmother. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm still here. So do you, be- do you believe that that challenge that she gave you is what gave you the strength to do it? I think I think it was also my friends as well because I know a lot of people have friends shy away from them and sort of not see them as much. But I've known a lot of my friends from the age of two or three, um, and I'm now forty three. So I've had friends. My my best friend I've known for forty one years, oh. and we are still best friends and. But you'd think we were sisters. So has having kidney disease affected how you see yourself as a woman? No. I you know, I am just me. <laughs> you know you know, in since I've had since I had kidney failure, I've obviously when I had my first when I had my first one, I my boyfriend at the time, I've known him I've known him since school, I've known him since senior school. And he he literally went through because before he literally he turned up on the day I had my PD um, put my PD sort of tube put in, you know I woke up and he was at the bedside. We weren't even going out at that point. He just turned up and it was literally, obviously he want you know he was you know he, he was a friend, and then we got together at my best friend's wedding. And we were together for May ninety eight to November ninety nine. It wasn't the kidney that that put us, put, put us apart. It was his mum. So I, you know, I think if I stayed with him, I think I think I'd have killed him. But there you go. It's just, <laughs> <laughs> you know, but I think nothing nothing has changed me. But since I've had my first transplant, I met my now husband. I've had a baby, and and I've I'm, I'm now on my second transplant that will be one years old next month. So I'm still me, just with different parts. Sorry, well, my husband said, you know, spare parts. <laughs> <laughs> so, so rewinding slightly, so you were on dialysis, and then I you was. had your first kidney transplant I did so I was very lucky because um my family wanted say wanted to say literally save me say I'll give you a kidney so my mum was tested my dad my aunt and my two cousins and they, they whipped it down to much my dad and his sister my, my aunt because my mum's not the same blood group as me my cousin was of childbearing age, and my other cousin only had the same blood group as me, no other factors. And they said they would they would try, try my dad first, because Lee, he, he, being my dad, I would have more in common with him than my aunt. So she would be my backup if anything down the line in testing didn't happen. But the good thing is, my dad was a perfect match. And he was a zero, 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 which you can't get better than that. And I had my transplant 
December the 1st, 1998. So the year from finding out to actually having the transplant was the year. I was very lucky. And what difference did having the transplant make to your life? Um, <clears throat> I, ha- I didn't realise I was running on empty because being on PD, you have obviously glucose bags, which is sugar, so you have the energy. But when I had my transplant, I had more energy. I had colour back in my cheeks, as my mum said, and I got my figure back. I was, I was no longer, as my friend says, of a lamppost. I had no belly, no boobs and no bum. <laughs> I, I was it. I, I was the lamppost. And within, I put on a stone in a week in hospital because of steroids and the fluid. But then I was in for three weeks and I lost it all because they were making me walk to the furthest toilet in the ward. I wasn't allowed to go because back then there wasn't, like in hospital now, you have a toilet toilet in every ward, but back then you didn't. You only had one, two or three toilet toilets for the whole section. And they'd make me walk from the TV room where where my bed was right way to the bottom and back again. And it took me half an hour to go back to go down and back again. And by the time I, I was back, I did another wee. <laughs> 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 you know, I had I had I hadn't stopped going to the toilet when I was still on dialysis, but I literally went for a wee, I'd say, every half an hour. But it was good because it meant the kidney was working. And I and my body would get back to normal, and it was taking out all the toxins normally, rather than rather than having dialysis and medication and not being able to eat this or, or eat that. So, so yeah, it gave it gave me some freedom back. I could eat anything, drink anything, but just make sure that there was a, to- a toilet and I could just nip out and <laughs> and go for a wee when I needed to. <laughs> So you went on to have a, a second transplant? I did, yes. So tell me about that. Um, Bob, who was my first kidney, now off my dad, was doing really well. And I had I had slight rejection when my son was born. Um, I had antibodies attack, attack the kidney. But after um, two rounds of plasma exchange and IVIG, that got sorted. And then I was going along really well, you know, job. And I got my redundant, so I got had a new job. I'd been there, I'd say, six months and, no, three months. And then I caught E. coli. Um, and then that turned into sepsis. And then the sepsis started the kidneys fell again. And it finally packed up on my 40th birthday. And I, there, instead, instead of going to New York for my birthday, I was doing dialysis. Oh. Yeah. Not the best birthday present. Not, not the best thing, no. And I, I, I was under, I was under, under Hammersmith, because I've been with them since, since my transplant. I live in Cambridgeshire. But I don't trust I don't trust anybody else but Hammersmith. You know, my local is Addenbrooke's. 
but they don't know me as well as Hammersmith do. They have, I would say, 20 folders of, on me. You know, they, they know me from the time I got transferred from Charing Cross to Hammersmith because that's where you have all the transplants at the time was at Hammersmith. And some of the doctors are still there to this day. So so they know me better than, than I know myself. So that's why I stayed with them. And because I live too far away to dialyse with Hammersmith, I was going to originally do PD. Um, that was okay for a few weeks. And I was transferred to Lister, which is my local. But I kept getting um, leaks in my bag. And it wasn't working. So I had so they said so what so, so they said what they would do is to get to give me a break from PD is to do temporary hemodialysis. And I found that so much in a way better than PD because PD I was doing four times a day. So that meant we had to come home from work. And it's sort of pretty much set hours. It's like every six to eight hours you would have to do dialysis. Where hemo, I started out on three hours. So it's three hours, two times a week. And I felt freer, if that makes sense. Yes. Some people find PD freer because they can work around that. But because I ha- I've got a husband, a son, a job and everything else, I just couldn't do it in the end. And I thought, you know, first time round, easy peasy. I was twenty. I had no issues. I had, I didn't have peritonitis. I had no leaks, no line issues, or sort of tube issues. I thought I could do it again, but didn't work out. And I was, and I did hemo for just just over two years, just from July, you know, September seventeen to October 19, up until I had my transplant, the second one. So how was the process of having your second transplant? Um, well, second transplant, obviously, people were devastated. Um, my mum was too old. She wanted to do it. She wanted to do it. But I'm like, you're too old, mum. You know, you're, she was... She, she's 80 next year so she was about 77 when she said I'll give you a kidney but it wouldn't have worked so my husband went, came forward my two sister-in-laws um, one of my brother-in-laws and my mother-in-law wow. came forward and so they had all that they had the initial testing and my my husband and my sister, no one, no one was a match. Uh, apparently, they've never seen that many people go into what's known as the pool, uh, as the pool scheme. Oh, well, no, sorry, the paired pool. They've never seen that many people try and enter and only have two that could, that could be potentials because no one was a match to me. I killed everybody in the Petri dish. <laughs> I murdered them, you know. You know, yes, I murdered my mother-in-law, but that was in a petri dish, not in real life. <laughs> <laughs> and but yeah, so out of the five, they said to my sister-in-law and my husband, they were the better options, 
and that they would then go for the next stage of testings. My sister-in-law backed out. Don't know why. I'm not going to ask her. It, it was her choice. So my husband, you know, he he's not exactly athletic, should I say. He's more of a... He's got more of a paunch on him, should I say. He's got he's got more of a beer barrel than a six-pack. <laughs> but, 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 you know, he, he, he lost some weight. You know, this is, you know... Not, you don't you don't have to lose weight anymore. Years ago, they want they want you to be a certain weight to be a live donor, but now you don't have to be. So he lost about two and a half stone within up up until the day of the transplant, and he had to go through different tests. There was blood tests, there was blood pressure tests, there was a there was um, a stress test. And he doesn't know how he ran because he, because you know, he says he's like me. You, I can't run, but he did it. And so we went. We entered the paired pool in October, eighteen, and we you're allowed you're allowed four goes. So that be the cycle is January, April, July, October. So we squeezed into the October one by the nice people at Hammersmith, and we were unsuccessful. We we went into into the pool in January, again unsuccessful. April we went in, again didn't get in, didn't get a match or anything, and so we were on our, we were on our last go, and I'm getting worried because obviously you then have to do all the te- all the tests again. To make sure that myself included was still fit to go for the, for, for the transplant, and it was it's usually the last day of the month when you know the pool opens, and it's literally like a big you know I want to say lottery, but it's like a big machine, and it's all with all all your details in and all your and all your results, and they get all mashed together, and you then see if you're a match to anybody, and on and on the last go, I got a match, which, and it was lit, it was um, it was I can't even pronounce what they call it. He 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 he, he was a man that wanted to be a donor, not for anybody else but himself. So he came in and gave me a kidney. He didn't, you know, he he just went into the pool, and just gave away. An organ to a complete stranger. Wow! That yeah, is incredible. Yeah, unlike my husband, he he gave his kidney away to a woman. Also, we know she was female, and the same age as, as his as one of his sisters. That, that's all we know. She was female, and at the time, I think thirty-seven or thirty-eight. I can't remember now. No, thirty-eight. So. That's all we knew. We don't know her name. We don't know. We don't know what part of the country she's from. But this man, all I know, he's from up north, and he's forty-nine, and that was it. So he, he's, in a way, he's a miracle. That's so incredible that somebody would be willing to give such an amazing gift. Yeah, a lot of people do that now. Because when I got talking to one of the nurses who I've known for many years at Hammersmith, she says there's a lot of people that are starting to do it. 
because they may see friend of friend or they hear about somebody and they'd want to help. And if, if they're healthy, you know, they say, here, take my kidney. Give, give it to somebody that wants it, that, that can use it. You know, it's, it's like having a live donor card. So what is, um, what is the one thing that you wish you had known when you were first diagnosed? I would say, I would say knowing that I had kidney disease or whatever, whatever it was, you know, because I know there's more than one kidney disease, you know, there's, there's, there's like a string of different kidney diseases and different stages. I wish I'd know that I'd had it and then I could have got my head around it a bit more and then that way it may have been longer because some people can go for their whole life not knowing they've got kidney disease or some or they may go the, the whole life knowing they've got they've got kidney disease and it has been that they're going that you know that there is going to be an end result having either dialysis or a transplant years down the line i just didn't have any of that it was instant it was rock hard place i'm in i'm in the middle And what has been your hardest challenge and what did you learn from it? Um, I think giving birth was my hardest challenge because I'd always been told I could have children, but it would be a C-section. I'll be looked after. I'll be in hospital for a week just to keep an army. And But the good thing is, my obstetrician, I had the top man at Queen Charlotte's and he said, there's no reason why you can't give birth is because the trauma of giving birth affects your heart, not your kidneys. Oh. <laughs> that's... <laughs> okay, that's... um. I don't know what to say to that comment there. Um, oh, so it's okay for it to affect your heart, but okay. Well, or should I say, giving birth puts more strain on your heart than it would your kidneys. Right. <laughs> yes. You know, you know, some some people may get, um, I can't, it's like, pregnancy kidney failure pregnancy liver failure or heart failure or or diabetes but as soon as they've given that given birth they go back to normal so obviously it's it's amazing it's amazing how the body actually repairs itself so was there ever a point because you were diagnosed in your 20s and obviously you went you went on to to have a child was there a yeah. point where there was a question as to whether you would be able to have children? Um, that's the first. I actually asked that question. I was sitting with the renal counsellor at Charing Cross, she's called Jackie, and I said to her, can I, like, can I have children? And she said, I don't see why not. <laughs> she, you know, she, she was so blase. You know, she was, she, she was like a, she, she was never a counsellor in, in a sense, you know, she, there was no chair 
you know, it was just literally like you were sit, sit, sitting, sitting in like, like Costa Coffee and that's what her office looked like. It's like a, if you go to Costa and you see the table and the chair, that's, you know, and the sofas, that's how her office looked. And she was so friendly and warming and you could ring her up any time you wanted with a, with, with a question of anything. It could be daft. It could be not about what you're going through and she, and she would and she would help and answer it. And she said, yeah, you can have children, it's not, not an issue. And then she actually ran away and asked the right people. And and they said, as, you know, as long as the kids, you know, because because you're kept an eye on all the time, you know, start, start out, you, you up hospital like twice a week for, t- for blood tests. And then it dwindles down to a week, two weeks, a month, six weeks, eight weeks, and then up to no more than four months. And then, you know, I was, 2008, I conceived. So I'd had the kidney since 1998. So, so, so I'd had him 10 years. And he was working, working perfectly. There was no issues. I had the textbook pregnancy, apart from, but apart from blood, high blood pressure, but that it didn't cause any issues of pre-tax or anything. They kept an army, and my consultant said, you need to be induced because I want the baby out so so we can look after you if anything happens. So Josh was born four and a half weeks early, weighing £4.12. Oh. So that, that yeah. gives hope to yeah. other women who, you know, they might have recently been diagnosed with kidney disease and are looking to start a family. That, that really does give yeah. them hope to say... Yeah. It is possible. Yeah, you can you can have babies, but I've learned on having can can um, before or after transplant. You know, I um I met a woman when I was had my transplant, and she was on dialysis and she was pregnant. Wow. Yeah, and there was and she was adamant she was not going to get rid of her baby. And she didn't. So she was on. The funny thing is, she was actually on PD. So she had. So she had dialysis in a bag of glucose in her body, and they also have a baby in there. So I've got no idea how it worked, <laughs> <laughs> because I know. I know. I know when I was pregnant with Josh, um, because obviously, when 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 you go to a radiographer and obviously have, have your scans. The kidney doctors are more concerned, want to see the baby because they don't often see babies. And then the photographer who's going to see your babies more like, oh, what's this? Oh, it's a kidney. Let's have a look at your kidney. So you've got two radiographers who are trying to do a job, but they're looking at what they're not supposed to be looking at. <laughs> <laughs> and it turned out that the kidney had moved, moved out of the way so, so Josh could grow. The body is an incredible thing. It really is. It is. It's amazing. <laughs> so I now have two kidneys in my in in my stomach area. One one on the right that's working really well. I've named him Bean. Obviously, robust Northern Bean because he's from up north. And I'm, and my failed kidney is on the left. And I don't know if it's there or more. I don't know because they say some, sometimes when your kidney fails, it just shrivels up and disappears. 
because when I when they checked my original kidneys, my native ones, they couldn't find them. Oh wow! They were that small; they were they couldn't be shown on an X-ray or any scan. What advice would you give someone who has just been diagnosed with kidney disease? Um, don't be scared. Ask lots of questions, which I've done that 20 odd years ago. Uh, yeah, ask lots of questions and just, if you can, go about living your life as you are now. Don't put anything on hold. Because the last, th- the last six months that we've had, lockdown and COVID, we know that we can survive anything. Doesn't matter if you're who you are or what you are or where you are, you will get through it, and just stay positive. That's good advice. What are common myths about having kidney disease that you would like to debunk? I don't know, in all honesty, because I think I've defied all the odds. <laughs> I, I. You know, I I went 20 years of my life possibly having kidney disease and not knowing, and I did it. I did everything up until up until I found out. You know, I smoked. I I drunk. I went to parties. I went to school. I did sport badly. If it kept involved running, you know, you know, I did I did lots of things that apparently we can't do because everyone goes under everyone is supposed to be tired everyone's supposed to look ill but kidney disease is not an illness that affects everybody in the same way right so yeah that is a a myth that people think that you look ill or you look a certain way or affects you a certain way so yes that's really important to know everyone's different what are the best resources that have helped you along the way um i would say the nks they um they i never i've never contacted them directly but i'd always get their um their quarterly magazine which I, which i still read now 20 plus years on and and look reading that gave me more information than I think any Google question would ask or even asking a doctor because the, the NKF magazine is real people and their stories. And yes, you do get the medical side of things and reading it, in, you, can, you pick it up and it's in plain English. It's not a medical journal that you've got, you haven't got a clue how to read it. What does NKF stand for? National Kidney Federation. Yeah, they obviously with Kidney Care and the NKF. Obviously, they're they're the two main. I'd say charities in a sense. They're the main two that can help you out with questions and answers and everything in between. Do you have a final piece of advice for? Our listeners. <laughs> I do actually. This isn't from me. This is from a man I met. I had my transplant. I'd say nineteen ninety nine, 
I'd had an outpatient appointment with obviously with the, with the transplant team. I went waited for my blood test, and I met a man. And as you do, you get talking, and he was the first man to have a kidney transplant by the surgeon that I'd had for my, for my kidney. And I think he was the first man to be transplanted on in England. And he said, ignore what the doctors say. You know your own body. That's a very interesting piece of advice. (laughs) (laughs) Because he's had his kidney for 35 years at that point. And he ignored the doctor's advice. And because he knows, he knew his own body. That he knew when he was ill, he knew when something was wrong, you know, and he could pinpoint what was going on more than his doctors could. So yeah, I don't, I don't think everybody would agree with me, you know, ignore what the doctors say because I don't at the moment. I'm following the, I'm, I'm, I'm textbook. I follow everything now. <laughs> I, I check every blood test. I check all my levels, and. I know that if I don't do some, if I don't wee enough, I know I'm not drunk enough. So I increase my fluid. Or if my potassium levels up, I, I cut down on bananas or coffee. So I am, as I'm, as I'm a second timer, I am literally going by the book and taking more advice in because there's more information out there than there is now than there was back in the late nineties. Right. So I think what we can take from that is listen to what your body is telling you and work with the doctors. Yes. Yes, work with them and tell them, you know, if you if you think that something's up, keep pushing to have something done. You know, me, I was very blase. Oh, I'm fine, nothing's wrong. And then you get told, oh, yeah, you're, you know, you're failing again. No, I'm not, I'm fine. <laughs> And then crap, slap bang middle, you know, you have swollen ankles, swollen feet, swollen legs, you can't, you're tired, you can't sleep. Yeah, I now listen to my body and the doctor. Yes, I can definitely endorse that. Yes. So thank you so much for sharing your story um, with us today. Um, There's so much in there that can help and encourage other people. Um, As a woman, knowing, you know, giving hope to other women that um, it's possible to have children while, you know, while being a a kidney patient. So giving hope that 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 is possible. Also showing people that coming through so much, having a first transplant, coming through that, going on to having a second transplant and you're well and you're living a full life, all of this um, shows people what is possible. And also what you said about being positive as well, having that positive mindset um, and focusing on the good and getting the best out of life. So thank you so much for sharing your story. You're welcome. (laughs) Thank you for listening to part three of Diary of a Kidney Warrior podcast warrior women series. And don't forget that you can contact me on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter using the handle Diary of a Kidney Warrior. Please do subscribe to the podcast and please do tell a friend. New episodes of this podcast are released every Monday. Until next time, take care 
and choose to live. Diary of a Kitty Warrior. Sharing faith, knowledge, hope and love.